Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Marcel Hall. It's a pleasure and honor to be able to speak and preach God's Word today. We are continuing, continuing in a sermon series called A Crown That Will Last, based on a book by a brother in our Minnesota church named Michael Burns. And let's do some recapping here. In our first week, we learned that our purpose is to be an image bearer of God. Next, we talked about God's mission to gather all the nations. Then we learned about how we need to be all things to all people. And at fourth, that our identity is love, that the covering of love, and that's our identity in Christ. And last week, Steve Stevenson helped us to see the power of cultural humility. Today, we're going to continue, and this chapter is titled Together or Apart, but I'm going to call it Unity in the Community. All right, so you pick and choose which one you want to go with for the title. But let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this chance to uh, speak. God, I want your word to be communicated. I want you to inspire. I want you to teach. I want you to move us to be more aligned with your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn on over to Mark chapter 3. Now, we're going to have some fun here today because we're going to be talking a lot about cultures. And as the kids say these days, we're going to keep it 100, all right? Well, actually, they say keep it 100, all right? So we're going to have some honest dialogue. We're going to have some honest conversations. So strap in and be prepared for that. But I would say this, in order to get the most, I believe for you to get the most out of what God wants you to get out of not only our sermon here today, but really throughout the week and in the book is to make sure you actually read and follow through with the week six, week six devotionals in the book, A Crown That Will Last. Okay, because it's going to expand more than we can here for our sermon. But also, as I read through these were actually some of my favorite uh, chapters in the book, uh, some highlights and some really eye-popping aha moments uh, in, in week chapter six. So let's go ahead over in Mark chapter three. Let's read. Then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and my, my, my brother and sister and mother. Let's stop right there. Wow. I know many of us are very familiar with this passage. But what just happened? You see, Jesus had these people around him, and he, he said something so outstanding and astonishing that isn't shocking not only to them, but even to us here today. He said, hey, my family, my true family is my spiritual family. And he said it with conviction. He said, yes, I, I might be related to them, but my true family is to those who do the will of God. We've all heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. I believe Jesus is saying here, the spirit is thicker than blood. You know, the blood of Jesus is thicker than all. And the amazing thing is that this wasn't just something that he subscribed to himself, but this was the standard and expectation for all of his followers. It was an expectation and a standard that the allegiance of God's people, those who would follow Jesus, their allegiance wouldn't be to their family, to their race, to their community, to their culture, to their country. Their allegiance would be to the king and the citizens of the kingdom. 
to the king and the kingdom's purposes and mission. And the incredible thing is that the early church actually put this into practice. We don't have enough time to read all of it, but read through the book of Acts, uh, especially Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Read Acts 4, and, and you see the description of the disciples of Jesus in the first century. They took Jesus' words and applied them to their lives. They lived it out. They said, you know what? This group isn't just my church friends. Is it just my church family? They are my family. That's astonishing. That's outrageous to many and even challenging for some of us today. But I pray that as disciples of Jesus, we are continuing this legacy by our allegiance being to the King Jesus and to the citizens of the kingdom. And so we see Jesus lay this out. We see the first century church right off the bat take this in stride and continue it. But as the church begins to expand, as the church becomes more diverse, there needs to be a reminder and a call of action to God's call for his people to be a family and to be united. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter four. That's going to be our main text here for today. And I know a couple weeks ago, Jay Minor preached uh, a great sermon out of the book of Ephesians as we looked uh, in the series there. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper to Ephesians chapter four. So let's go to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to read in verse one. And let's remember here that leading up to this point in, in Ephesians, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has communicated that God has a plan to redeem all mankind, that, that Jews and Gentiles, basically Jews and non-Jews, would be one in Christ, creating a new humanity. And this is the gathering in of the nations. And so that is the backdrop here for Ephesians chapter 4, understanding the differences in cultural aspects that are at play here. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read in verse 1, again, this call by God to be his people. Ephesians 4 chapter 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, what do we see here? We're seeing God's people being called to be unified. But let me ask you this, what kind of unity does God expect? What kind of unity should we be looking forward or striving toward to have? What we see here, it says clearly, Unity of the spirit. And then it goes on how in saying that we are part of one body, one faith, one baptism. And we are called to be one because God is one and we are unified under and we're part of his one spiritual family. And so it's spiritual unity that we are called to have. It's spiritual unity that God envisions and that God designed for the church. Why are we talking about this? Because this is so important that we understand this. 
that we are called to have spiritual unity. Because as we talk about cultural humility, we talk about diversity in the church, as we talk about being image bearers of God who participate in God's mission to gather in all the nations, it's important to not be mistaken that our unity must be in every category of life. We can't mistake this. You see, some of us think that we might or we can fall victim to thinking that we need to be unified in too many things. We need to have complete unity in everything. And I don't think that's what God intends. Let's let's dig some more into this. Do you answer the question? Do we as God's people, as the church, do we need to be unified in our food preferences? That's crazy to think about, right? No, that. No, we don't need to be unified in our food preferences. That, that's not even possible. Well, let me ask you this. Do we need to be unified in our hobbies and interests? No. Do we need to be unified in our sports teams, with sport teams we like? No, unless you're a USC fan. But no, we, we don't need to be unified in our, in our sports teams, right? Well, then let me ask you this. Do we need to be unified then in our philosophy of how the world's politics should be implemented in a secular society. Do we need to be unified in that? I don't know if we necessarily need to. You see, God is not calling us to that type of unity, but he's calling us to spiritual unity, which is stronger than all other affiliations and groupings that you and I could be a part of. You see, the spiritual unity that God is calling us for is to be is to reign supreme in our lives. And it's important, brothers and sisters, that a God, as God's people, we have our allegiance to Christ and Christ only. That our allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom and it reigns above all. Because if not, then the unity that we're supposed to have will be fractured. You see, if Jesus' disciples, when Jesus said, hey, guys, these are my brothers and sisters, those who do the will of my father, those are my brothers and sisters. If Jesus' disciples had had said, hey, man, these guys, these are my brothers and sisters. You tripping. I'm not doing all that. If they would have responded with that way, what would have happened? Well, obviously, they would have had different allegiances. They'd have different worldviews. They'd have friction. And there would be no spiritual unity. You see, if we're not aligned to the king, if we're not allegiant to the king, then the other differences that we have, the disunity that we have, or differences, that's not necessarily disunity, but the differences that we have will then start to infiltrate and fracture the spiritual unity that we are called to have. But we have this thing called culture and we all have that. We all have different cultures that we're bringing in as all the nations are here. And what a beauty that is that we have all the nations in our church, right even here in Orange County. But with these cultural differences can present some challenges for us to maintain our spiritual unity. So let's talk about what obstacles can prevent unity from being preserved. Because it says to keep. So that means the spirit is unified, but we are called to preserve the unity. So here's what I want you to do. Okay, I want you to write in the little chat. Go ahead and type it out in the chat. However you're watching right now. What culture differences can hinder our unity and divide God's people? Okay, so go ahead. Go ahead right now. 
Go ahead and write that in, okay? Write down, answer this question. What cultural differences can hinder unity or divide God's people? As we got them coming in, let's go ahead and let's start talking and let's throw out some of these and let's see how they can be challenges in us preserving and keeping the unity. First, family. You know, how we view and function as a family, that's important. That's huge because there's cultural differences in how we view and how we function when we use the term family. You know, some view family as solely the immediate family, those who live in your household, whether it be your mom, your brother, your sister, or your wife, your husband, your kids, whatever that is. For some of us, that's family. Others, family is extended. It's our extended relatives, and they have the same obligations in many ways as our immediate family, as our brothers and sisters. And so our view of family, our connection, our obligations to family is larger than maybe just our, our immediate family. You see, in the church then, how, do, how can that, how does that play? Well, some of us, you know, we have small groups, so some of us see just our small groups as the spiritual family. Some of us see the larger ministry as our spiritual family. And, and what can happen then is we can have differences in not only how we view, but how we function and treat each other as a family. For example, let, let's, let's do this. I want you to answer this question, okay? Go ahead and answer it right now. Go ahead and chat again here on, 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 your, uh, on your device there, okay? Do you feel comfortable selling a piece of furniture to a brother or sister in Christ? Now, again, this is not some bootleg furniture, okay? All right, but answer this question. Do you feel comfortable selling a piece of furniture to your brother or sister in Christ? Some of you right away say, of course. Yeah, what's the problem? Some of you said, never. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine doing such a thing. I wouldn't sell a piece of furniture to my brother and sister of Christ. I would just give it to them. And so you see how these cultural differences can maybe present some potential hurt feelings, potential negative views of each other or the church because we're bringing in our cultural differences and we're expecting that everybody is going to view family the same way we view family. You know, our culture, our experiences and preferences, they will affect things. Let's use another one, a popular, top, a popular one, music and worship. What style of music we incorporate when we worship God together? There are cultural differences here, right? Some of us hymns are directly from the angels in heaven. Some of us, we want Hillsong all day, every day. And others of us, we want some good old gospel. Give me some Kirk Franklin up in here, up in here. Now, you see, it's important to understand that in a diverse church that we have, and again, let's celebrate the diversity that we have because this is a reflection of God's glory and God's will. But it's important to understand in a diverse church, we have different preferences and cultural experiences that we are bringing in. And again, when it comes to music, there are some differences. Let's just keep it real. Can we keep it 100 right here? Can we have an honest discussion? For instance, uh, there's a different style of worship for black people and white people. Let, let's just be honest. In general, okay? We're talking about in general, okay? All right? But, but in general, you know, I, I joke around with, with, uh, with my wife about this. You know, a lot of times the uh, contemporary Christian, uh, I guess you'd call that more white Christian style of worship, that tends to be very poetic in the sense, I mean, more, more uh, uh, doctrinal and, and almost seem like psalms. Sometimes I sing these songs, I'm like, man, these are powerful. These are awesome. 
while you go over to the more urban side of things, the more gospel side of songs, I always tell my wife, I'm like, you know what? We can hear this song. I feel like I'm singing a, a, a song here, but we sing, you know, a gospel song and, and it's like, God, thank you for paying my bills. You, you know what I mean? And it's not just about, hey, it, it's about the struggle. It's like practical life. It's like, hey, yeah, I know there's some great psalms out there, but man, I, I'm just praising God right now because I was able to get rent paid, you know, and, 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 and whatnot. And, and not just what you sing, but how you sing it. You see, the problems come when we view our cultural preferences as either being right or superior or review the other cultural preferences and experiences as either being wrong or even sinful. And maybe we misinterpret them and we get annoyed with these. You see, again, these become some challenges, but we have some answers and we'll get to that here in a second. You know, our communication style, right? Whether we have a direct New York uh, 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 kind of, you know, uh, direct form of communicating or we're more tactful. And in the church, that, that can play itself out in what style of preaching we prefer. I like the more TED Talk style or I like the fiery preacher, yes, y'all, preaching style. You know, or when it comes to authority, how do we view authority figures? You know, the scriptures are very clear that there is church authority. However, our view of authority can differ based on our cultural experiences and our interactions, and it can have an influence and an impact upon our unity. You know, some, we view authority, uh, we assume authority. If you have a title, hey, I respect you. Some of us, we look at somebody who so-called has authority, we're like, man, I don't know you. Who are you? And so we want to relate. We want to connect before we give submission or before we acknowledge and recognize the authority. You know, another area that could be challenging for us to retain and preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, politics. Yes, we have an election coming up. And in our church, we never, we don't have any differences when it comes to politics, do we? Of course, right? So let me ask you this obvious question. Can politics threaten our spiritual unity in the church? It can, but should it? You see, cultures our cultural preferences affect our politics more than we realize. Think about this. We have blue states and red states. Some of us grew up in California, blue state, but some of us grew up in Orange County, red, you know, more conservative Republican County. And, and, and yet in the church, we have people from all different backgrounds, all different cultural experiences and all different cultural expectations. And so in the church, you know, some of our cultures, we, we come from, hey, you never bring up politics in church. Other cultures, we come from, hey, we can bring up politics because, hey, we all agree. And in others, we come from a culture where you can talk about politics in church because it helped you to process and deal with things that were tough. So who's right? Which one's right and which one's wrong? You know, how you answer that question will either help keep or undo the unity of the spirit. You see, our cultural experiences and expectations in these areas and more will be challenges to preserve the unity of the spirit. So we have to acknowledge the challenge is real, but the answer is available. The answer is available. Let's go back again to Ephesians chapter four, verse one. We're called to live a life worthy of the call you ever received. And again, what is this? This is allegiance to King 
Jesus. This is allegiance to his kingdom purposes and his commands. I am a child of God above all, and I will follow his ways. My brothers and sisters in Christ are my eternal family. No other groupings will supersede that. That's what we are called to do, to live a life worthy of the calling we have. And that means an allegiance to King Jesus. So all other things are secondary. Again, this is where we start off. Because if we have the right view, then the other things will trickle themselves down. And what are we called to do next? We're called to be completely humble and gentle. Why completely humble? Because we don't want to be completely humble. Because being completely humble is harder than just being humble. We're called to be completely humble and gentle with each other. That means our interactions. That means our views of one another. We value others. We value the differences in preferences. We recognize that some things aren't necessarily sin, right, wrong, improper. They are just cultural differences and we don't assume the worst. And in the way we interact, we are gentle, not harsh with each other, doing it in love. Again, in verse two, we are called to be patient Bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? That when you have to bear with somebody in love, that means it's challenging at times. And so as we navigate through the different cultural backgrounds and diversities that that we are bringing to the table, it's going to call for us to bear with one another and to be patient. And you know what patient means in the Bible? It means to be patient. Every time you see patient in the Bible, it means to be patient. That means being patient that others may take a slower time in understanding. And that growth takes time, just like you want people to be patient with you. And in verse three, it calls us to make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The spiritual unity we have, we need to make every effort. We will not stop. We won't just say once or twice. We won't stop. We got to preserve the spirit's unity. And I believe that that includes eliminating the concept and language of other side. The other side, you know what I'm talking about. In church, I've heard this now being said, you know, the other side or the other side. No, no, no. See, when you view your brothers and sisters as being part of the other side, you already have a barrier in between that divides. And so we don't need to see our brothers and sisters as being those on the other side for cultural preferences, even political preferences. No, we need to view them as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of our eternal family. Because, again, when we have that view, then our function, our way we treat each other will be different. So if we were to just get even funnel us down even more so practical application of Ephesians 4, I, w- I would sum it up in three things here. Number one, assume the best. Here's a practical application for, for Ephesians 4 here. Assume the best. Don't assume negative or sinful behavior by your brothers and sisters just because things are different. You know, some things may be just cultural. Some things just may be out of preference. But let's not assume the worst. Let's assume the best in each other. Now, we'll say this because I, I want to make sure you understand what I am not saying. Okay. I'm not saying that all cultural differences are right in God's eyes. There are things in your culture background, my cultural background that that weren't right with God, that weren't aligned with God's will. And this is where our humility toward others in the scriptures comes into play. But we have to make sure that we assume the best. Next, ask questions. Ask questions to which you're being curious. 
Ask questions not to be critical or to, to condemn or to indict, but ask questions out of curiosity to understand. Ask questions to learn. Ask questions to perhaps get clarification about things. Because again, that would enlighten, educate, and help us to see, oh, maybe it's not what I thought it was. Therefore, preserving the unity of the spirit. And third, again, be patient. I know that was mentioned earlier, but that's how important it is. Be patient. First Corinthians 13 says love is patient. We must be patient in our growth spiritually. We must be patient with the church culturally. We got to be patient with one another. And so if we're going to have some action steps here for this week, you know, I like giving action steps here. Here you go. All right. here Here are the action steps here for this week. Do the week six devotionals and activities for each one. That's right. Do week six devotionals and activities for each one, because this will help develop the conviction that I believe God wants us to have toward each other so that we can preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We can be the brothers and sisters that God has called us to be. Unity in the community. Are we together or are we apart? Right now, we're going to take time to have communion. This is a time where we remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And let us remember that Jesus' death on the cross gave you and me the opportunity to be one with each other, unified in Christ for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for him dying and resurrecting. Thank you for his call to actually thank you for his example. Thank you for his teachings and commands. Thank you for the brothers and sisters in the faith who responded to the cross the way they did so that we can have an example of what it's like to put Jesus' teachings into practice. But thank you, Lord, for for giving us the opportunity to be unified with you, to have not our sins be remembered. But God, we can also be a part of your new humanity. God, that we can be unified with the rest of your children. Lord, we thank you. We pray that we will live a life uh, in accordance to uh, what you have called us to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.